Well, hey, thank you for being here. We are in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And I'm going to read through the sections, and you can see them on the top of the page there. Uh, he begins to call, address the readers here again as brothers uh, for the first time uh, after he began rebuking a group. Chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, that was the merchants. And uh, he rebukes them, but also corrects them. They've been going off saying, we're going to go to this or that city. We're going to make this amount of money. He says, whoa, 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 you, you shouldn't be doing that. That's, that's arrogant. You should be saying, if it is the Lord's will, then we will do this. He wasn't saying they shouldn't be merchants. They shouldn't be out doing business. But they were merchants planning, in a sense, in a way of uh, secular humanism. I mean, void of God, we're just going to do this. We're in control. And again, I gave you the formula. Uh, you don't know what God's will is, plus you don't know how successful you're going to be and what you're going to do. And so your results, uh, you don't know your results. And that was the formula. Uh, because, and we're going to see, as we, we mentioned, uh, the Lord, you plan your course, but the Lord directs your steps. Now, this, because he gave them some correction in chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, we, would, we were allowed at least think that those are Christians that are maybe in the group of believers that are seeing the ways of the world and the success of the people. And so they've got, uh, is there a problem? Oh, oh, okay, but we got the signal. Okay, we got our, okay. Uh, the, the, these people were Christians, but were possibly, and this is one of the th things the book is addressing, is how do we respond correctly to this oppression or to persecution or to the world that's overriding us? And these people maybe were trying to be more, well, we're going to go off and do it in our own way. He says, no, no, no. If you're going to go off and be a merchant, you're going to have to do it as a believer. And you've got to figure in God in this. Then chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, he started talking to the landowners, the wealthy landowners. And they were clearly oppressing people. Uh, and there was nothing but judgment spoken to them. So if we were to make an assumption, these people could have been Christians tempted to go the way of the world. These people appear to be unbelievers who are just writing over the Christians. And they're both addresses, you can see on the notes there, point two. Uh, this group is began, come now, you who say. And this group is addressed, come now, you rich. Well, now, in chapter 5, verse 7 through 12, he's going to three times, he's going to say, brothers. In fact, the first verse today, be patient, therefore, brothers. You're not in this group of merchants going off and making your own plans without God. You're not in this group of landowners who are void of God and are oppressing people just for your daily gains, and you're passing away. This group was told your, your, uh, your goods are passing away. You yourself are passing away. In fact, you're not even here. I mean, it's in, in the scope of rea uh, eternity, you're not even a factor. But you, now you brothers, you need to be patient because what they're seeing in this age right here, they're seeing the success they're seeing their ways, but it's, it's, it's fleeting. It's momentary. You're going to need to be patient. Now this, uh, as we talked about in our own culture today, uh, when we see Christianity on the, wherever you're at, Christianity, it, it doesn't matter the culture, it's not of this age. Christianity is a f a forming a kingdom of an age to come. So anytime you see Christianity in a sense fitting in or ruling or having dominion in this age, it's most likely some form of a perversion because it, it, it's supposed to come alongside this world. And, and the believers are part of 
what the businesses, they're part of the government, they're part of the society, they're part of the families, they're part of all the institutions, but they themselves are not an institution that's got, in a sense, power in this age, because their God is not the God of this age. So, and you can go through history and see, well, I can tell you times where the Christians were ruling the land, and we can probably go back and find major corruption during that time and misapplication, and it eventually fell. Uh, but nonetheless, we ask the question, how do we respond, or how do Christians in James' day, because they were being oppressed by these landowners, uh, they were being abused, and there was a tendency to fight back. And again, we know uh, if this is 45 A.D., again, it's 45, 52 A.D., somewhere in there, one interesting question is, has the Jerusalem Council of 48 A.D. taken place? where they sit down and they deal with the Galatian issue, or is this a few years before? I tend to think it's a few years before, but that's not concrete. But 45 AD is a safe guess, Uh, but it's definitely before the revolt broke out in 66 AD. So there are zealots amongst the Jewish people. There were zealots among Jesus' disciples. Simon the Zealot, he was trained to overthrow the Roman Empire. And he became one of Jesus' disciples and, of course, was redirected. And so there are zealots within, probably these believers, within the congregation, and they're being toned down. They're going to be given directions. And it's interesting, you always have that, that, that pendulum, that spectrum of, you know, flat-out revolt to total just lay down and be passive. And James, if you're on a surface reading of this, uh, you may want to say, well, we're just, it says be patient. We're going to look at the words patient and endure. Maybe just lay down and wait until the end. But we're, he's going to talk about the prophets. He's going to give us a couple other clues. It's not just a passive get rolled over, but it's definitely not an aggressive act like the world and, and retaliate. These verses right here may be uh, what we've been working up towards this whole book may give us a very clear indication, but also we can read back and see he's already addressed these things, but it kind of shines some light on it. So, uh, here we go. Let me go ahead and read these three sections. We've already, of course, read uh, and taught through the first two sections. But, and you just see the switch, because now after addressing, and again, why would he address, and he appears to be, talking to them in the first person, talking to the, the traveling merchants and the wealthy landowners, why would he be addressing them? Well, one is to give the Christians a warning, don't go this way, but also to give the Christians an indication, this is their fate. They're, you don't be like this, and this is their fate. They're, they're not going to have anything left. So here we go. Chapter 4, verse uh, 13, the first group. Now listen, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? So, I mean, one, that's a question mark. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You don't have that kind of determination. Instead, you ought to say, if, now that's again, if in the third class condition, which means if we don't know. If it is the Lord's will. So now we're going to add the Lord's will to the fact that you're a mist and you can't control anything. We're going to add the Lord's will, which is a question mark. If it is the Lord's will, then we'll do this. So question mark plus question mark equals question mark. We don't know any of these factors. So stop making these plans like you're in control. Instead, you should say, it doesn't say stop making plans. 
you should make your plans, but under the umbrella that, well, if this is what the Lord wants, because I'll make the plans. Proverbs talks about it. Psalms talks about it. We'll read it in chapter 37 of Psalms today. Uh, the man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. So you make your plans. They'll say, don't plan vacation. You know, just go on vacation, no plan. Well, you've got to make your plans, but realize that your whole time, the Lord is going to be directing the steps of your vacation or the steps of your business plans to get you, and that's what you want because your plan, you just came up with it. God's plan has been around since eternity past and will continue. You want your plan to align with God's plan. But nonetheless, that's, so he's giving these people Christian advice on making plans which would sound like he's not condemning them, he's rejecting their plans and saying, here's how you need to adjust. So I think we're safe saying these people are believers, possibly in some of the churches that he's writing to, or the groups of believers, probably Jewish believers in 45 AD that have moved up into Syria. If it is the Lord's will, then we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and break, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, is sinning. So again, that's probably a rejection of the Christians and their attitude. Now he switches groups. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, again calling them you, not aligning himself with them, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Now they're not weeping and wailing because of their wealth. They've got it, but it's like, you don't understand, your wealth is just a, a facade of, of a reality, and uh, you're going to end up getting, well, taken out here it says your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes your gold and silver are corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire again the, your wealth will be a testimony it'll be a witness against how you've treated other people how you've hoarded more than you need that you'll never spend in fact it's rotting today you've got so much you have so many things it's not going to just pass away in eternity it's passing away in time because you can't spend it or use it fast enough it's a witness against you, against those you are oppressing. Again, this is the ideal of the, God hearing the cries of the people, God hearing the cries of, well, of these actual goods. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the worker, workmen uh, who mowed your fields, which would be harvest time, are crying out against you. Again, that is in the, in the tense that means it is happening now. Uh, so, I mean, right now, God is hearing the cry of the wages that should be in your worker's pocket, but instead, it's in your storehouse, rotting, and it's crying out, we shouldn't be here. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. That means the cries of the harvesters have already reached, it's in the, in, not in the past tense, but it's in the fact that it's already there, and the effect is having, uh, is having an occurrence already in history. So, two things are crying out, the wealth that sh is, is in the wrong place, and the laborers who are crying out because of their oppression have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Once again, Lord Almighty is Lord of hosts, which is the Lord of the militant armies. Uh, this is the Lord of hosts that David called on or whenever the Lord goes to battle. So in other words, the, the oppressed workers are crying out to the ears of God, and which phase of the Lord is hearing it, which attribute of God is hearing it, the militant God who marches out in defense of the oppressed. So uh, that's why he begins, uh, weep and mourn, you wealthy, because if we read on into this, the Lord of hosts has already begun marching out against you uh, to overthrow you. You have lived in, on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the last day. 
you have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Uh, we didn't get to finish this verse last week, but you have condemned and murdered innocent men. Condemned is a legal term, meaning you've made a judgment against people, and the result was their execution or their murder. Now, how this happened, uh, it could be legally where they took them to court because the wealthy get wealthy and more wealth. They can go to court and have legal cases and pay lawyers and oppress those who can't deal with the, the financial burden of the court. And, and we see in the prophets, uh, throughout the Old Testament of the wealthy getting more and more wealth until they can start oppressing the poor, legally taking their fields, confiscating inheritances, property, and the rich get richer until pretty soon the people that own the property, what we call the middle class, is driven into poverty and is having to work for the wealthy for minimum wage, and in this case, is even getting paid their wage. They've lost their property. Now they're forced to labor on their own fields for their new landowners but they're not getting paid what they should be getting paid. And so they have condemned and murdered, and I had a bunch of verses written down in the notes last week of references where, even in the Old Testament, if you take a man's wages, in fact, in the Old Testament, Jesus refers to it, uh, they live day to day. We live, in a sense, month to month. Uh, They live day to day. If you didn't pay them their day's wages, they had no food, and if they didn't have any food or shelter, they would die. And so by failing to give them their, what we'd say, their monthly check, uh, in their ca- case, a daily payment, uh, they would lose their house, they would lose their food, they would, they would die. And it was basically, uh, their judicial decision was resulting in the death of these workers, and they could care less, they'll just hire another worker. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you, and that were not opposing you, you can see it better in the English Standard Version. They did not have, in, in the past they were not opposing you, meaning you didn't need to do this because they were not a threat, but it can also mean they could not stop you. They could not oppose you. Meaning when they, you went to court against them, these people could not come. They, they had no written, no action. They had, they had no lawyer. They had no one they could. Remember the, the parable Jesus tells about the, the poor widow who kept bugging this guy, this lawyer. Help me with my case. Help me with my case. He says, no, I'm not going to help you with your case. You're poor. I'm not going to help you. But she kept coming day after day after day. Just Jesus using this as an example of prayer. She was crying out to the lawyer, and the lawyer wouldn't help her. Until finally he says, okay. He says, just to get rid of her, what is your case? I'll, I'll take your case. The point Jesus was making in the parable was you keep asking God, because even, even a, a wicked lawyer will give in to a poor widow and help her just because she's a nuisance. But not that your, your God is annoyed with you, but if a, a wicked lawyer will do that, a good God will do it if you ask him repeatedly. And so <clears throat> these are, this is an example there of they were not opposing you. You could, you could be taken to court and nothing would happen. And so they're definitely being warned. That's that, that second group being warned. Uh, your day of judgment is coming. I would think these were not believers who were doing the oppressing. There's no call for correcting their behavior. It, there's no you know, uh, advice. It's just you're dead in the water. You're, you just weep and wail. Which were the words of a prophet in the Old Testament speaking to a nation that was being overthrown by God. There's no coming back. Your nation is going to be overthrown. Weep and wail. Both were prophetic words. So you can hear within this the voice of the prophet, like an Old Testament prophet James is writing in that tone, but also uh, uh, the eschatological tone. Now, the, the verses for today. Here we go. So here's a third group. Be patient then. And I'm reading the NIV right now. We'll look at the English Standard on the notes. Be patient then. Now, believers, because it says, be patient then, brothers. So he switches now. He's to the brothers. 
His advice is because of this situation, the traveling merchants, who he's trying to call back, and the oppressive landowners, be patient. Because of that, because you are the oppressed, be patient. There's two words going to come out here, uh, and we can see a difference in the words. We'll look at them. But they're probably used almost as synonyms in here. Be patient and endure. And and that, that, that's going to sound passive, just be patient and endure, put up with it. But that doesn't mean just lay down. There's going to be certain things that the Christian should respond to and, in a sense, is required to respond to in these situations. We'll, we'll look at that. I think it's pretty clear. Or how to respond. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. And again, that's parousia. That's the Lord's coming. It's going to be eschatological, the second coming of Christ. And some are going to suggest 70 A.D. when Jesus comes and overthrows this, this culture. Wait until the Lord's coming. When is this culture going to be judged? Well, 45 A.D., uh, within 20 years, they've started the wars against Rome, and they're done. I mean, they're going to be overthrown. And some people like to, especially when we read Mark, we're doing Mark on, on Tuesday nights, and we're getting into chapter 13. Uh, that's all about, a, a heavily about, not all, half of it's about the destruction of the temple because jesus is going to go and pronounce the destruction of the temple and it's coming so james could easily be alluding to that and also remember if you don't mind just i I don't i want to point this out again james himself was executed james fell not from this corner of the temple but it'd be this is the southeast corner he fell from the southwest corner he was pushed off of there off the southwest corner probably where the trumpeting stone was where the priest made the announcements with the trumpets which were the major part of the city when people would come in before they'd proceed up to the temple steps. They'd declare the holy days, the, the Sabbath, the sunset. He was put up there, uh, according to church historians, to make an announcement uh, as an old man. It was 62 A.D. Uh, and instead of saying Jesus, he's going to say Jesus isn't the Christ, something like this. This is really a good example of even what he's advising here. They wanted him to say, just tell people, don't worship Jesus. Jesus is not the Lord. He's not, none of this. Instead, he stood up there and says, in defiance to the leaders, to the authorities, to the rich oppressors, he says, Jesus is the Christ and the soon coming judge. And they pushed him oh, off the temple. And you can see the fall right here. That's just what, then it would be uh, on the other side. Uh, and he didn't die. And then they beat him with clubs. And if you want to push this one step further, a few years ago, they did find an ossuary. That's one of those stone boxes where the bones are put in. It was a big controversy. Went to court. They had all kinds of tests on it because they thought it was a forgery. But after all the archaeologists, all the testing and the court case, it says on there, the, the, it's a very simple box. Some of them are very decorative. Some of the ones I saw, I got pictures of. You know, I've, they found Caiaphas, the high priest who tried Jesus. They found his family's tomb, including his ornate bone box with his name on it, Joseph. Uh, this was a very simple a box, and it says, Joseph, brother of Jesus. And it's, it's like, it, clearly it's like, okay, someone carved that in. So then they did the patina test and made sure it was... And it passed the test after a great scrutiny. It took on several years. And at first it was accepted, then it was rejected, and then after the court case it was accepted as being an authentic first. Because they only used those ossuary boxes in, oh, you know, say 10 B.C. until 70 A.D. After that, after the destruction of Jerusalem, burial practices changed. It was something that developed. So this ossuary box comes from that time period. 
it's like, well, how do you know? That's the only time they used them. And so you've got the t- right time frame, and then they, they dated it correctly. And the thing is, it doesn't say uh, 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 James, son of Joseph. It says James, brother of Jesus. Did I say that the first time? Yeah. I said Joseph. Okay, obviously, okay, thank you. That messed the whole story up. It says James, brother of Jesus, instead of James, son of Joseph, and, or, or James, son of anybody. No one, I mean, you know, pick somebody's brother and say, on your tombstone, you want to be known as, you know, Benjamin, the brother of Justin. I mean, it's like, what? No, 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 no. I, I, I did something else besides with somebody's brother. But this guy in this box, whoever it was, he, they, he was recorded as the brother of Jesus. Now, it doesn't say Jesus Christ, the son of God. It doesn't say James, the, that's all we know. But anyway, that's, that's that story. So James suffers something very similar to the persecution. Okay, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Perusia. Now he gives an example. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Notice the words patient. Now he's waiting for the rains. Plants and waits. You too be patient and stand firm. There's a key phrase right there. That's one of our key verses or words here today. Stand firm. You too be patient. And while you're being patient, stand firm. That word means strengthen. Uh, uh, stand firm. It means strengthen your heart. I, I'm looking for I lost my place here in my text. Stand, okay, stand firm. Because the Lord's coming, parousia, is near. Once again, the Lord's coming is near. Again, what is near? In, you know, eternity, it means it's, we've progressed out of the Old Testament through the coming of the Lord, the death and resurrection, and it's near. Now, is it 70 AD near, or is it near in the plan of salvation? But the Lord's parousia is near, and while you're doing this, while you're being patient and standing firm, this is the advice, don't grumble against each other. Brothers, so he's talking to those that are the believers, meaning there is grumbling going on, especially because of the persecution. They're all struggling. They, they need food. They need shelter. Everybody's struggling. They're all oppressed. And so they get together, and now the infighting begins. It's your fault. We should do it this way. They all advice. They got the zealots probably mixed in with them. Now they're fighting amongst themselves. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. Just like uh, the, the merchant will be judged, the the landowner is going to be judged. You, fighting amongst your community, you're going to be judged because, notice, the judge is standing at the door. And that would be the second coming, or that's the Lord. Brothers, as an example of patience. Now, what kind of patience do, should we have? In the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, there's another key point I'm going to bring out. The prophets, be like a prophet. They suffered now, if you remember, how how the prophets deal with, with uh, culture or uh, persecution? They just withered up and were passively, just don't want to cause any trouble. I mean, the reason they were persecuted was they were talking all the time. They were proclaiming the word of God. Now, what they weren't doing, they weren't, and James already said, they weren't being violent. They weren't being countercultural and starting revolts. But they were definitely testifying to the truth. They were definitely calling out the oppressors who were oppressing the, the weak, the poor, the widows, the orphans. 
and they were, they, were, they were calling out, this needs to be corrected. They're calling out God's will. Uh, and that led to them being, in a sense, persecuted. So again, there's that idea. They didn't start riots. They didn't start wars. They didn't arm themselves. But they definitely spoke the truth. And they didn't compromise. Say, well, the world's going this way. Well, I don't want to cause any trouble. And just went the way of the world. They said, no, well, no, I'm not going that way. You shouldn't be going that way. You should be over here doing this. And they suffered for it. So again, there's that line. What did they do? Did they start burning down buildings? No. Did they start a war? Did they arm themselves? No. But they definitely spoke. And so again, there's, 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 that, there's that some things you're strengthening your heart. Be like the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. Meaning you're, if you're going to speak, you're going to be persecuted. And you're blessed if you can persevere. Hold your ground. How are you going to hold your ground? You're going to need to strengthen your heart. We'll talk about that. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now, again, that would look at that word. The word teleos is in there, which means uh, the end, the goal, the purpose. You saw Job's perseverance and God's purpose, God's goal. So it wasn't much, it wasn't much. And then Job got all this material stuff back. Or you can see God's purpose, God's revelation was brought to pass. We'll see that. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Verse 12, our last verse for today. Above all, my brothers, do not swear. That means take an oath. Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Now, it doesn't say you'll be condemned by God, although that could be. You could be condemned by your world. In other words, who are you taking oaths to? You're taking, oh, you're poor, you're oppressed. You need to pay this money. You need this job. You need to somehow manipulate the world. And so I swear by, and then, you know, the temple, God, Zeus, or whoever, I'm going to fulfill this. You can trust me. I swear by. Well, now you're in a sense, you're signing a contract that you have no way of meeting. And now when it comes time to pay what you borrowed, you're going to be condemned. So in other words, you're buying into the world system, trying to buy favor, making vows and promises that you're swearing by things above you. You're never going to keep. And so when it comes payday, you're going to be condemned by the world again or condemned by God for being so foolish. Okay, so those are the verses we're looking at here today. And we got the notes now. Part one, or number one on page one, three parts. We've already pointed that out. Uh, point two, we've already pointed that out. The first group that we saw were the yous, uh, you who say, or you rich. Now we're talking to the brothers. Uh, these verses return to one of the key themes of James, which is how believers should respond to the worldly, the worldly oppression. And so if we're going to say what James is doing right here, he's giving them advice and trying to make correction in their lives as a, as a group of believers on how to, again, deal with life. <clears throat> and the first thing, We'll just say patience, and again, I've got to spend more time on this. Patience and endurance. Hupomone. <clears throat> and these are two things. Uh, the Christian, what we should do is we should hear the word and persevere. That's in chapter 1, verse 25. So what do we do, <clears throat> I mean, any time in life as a Christian, but especially during a time of oppression, you have no, in a sense, no rights, no money. You're, 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 you know, these people have fled Judea probably because they were Christian. They may have been members of James's congregation, Jewish church, 
uh, but or synagogue that was believers. They fled because of persecution, which could have been Paul's persecution, Saul's persecution. And like that, they fled north into Syria. Now they went into Jewish communities in the north. Remember where Paul went? Paul got letters from the high priest to go to Damascus to arrest the Christians who had fled. Well, these are the Christians that had fled up to Damascus and other places in Syria. It doesn't say specifically, but we can, we can see that possibly. I mean, that's, that's how we're playing this game. Uh, and then besides now being oppressed, leaving their own country, they're in a foreign country, maybe working for Gentiles in their fields. I mean, they've lost their property in Judea. They, they're in a foreign land, and so they are oppressed. So what do they do? One, they're supposed to hear the word and persevere, chapter 1, verse 25. Uh, chapter 4, verse 5 through 10, be humble. So you've got to hear the word. You're going to hear. You're going to be humble. Humble yourselves under God and live righteously. Now, point B, one of the issues also is speaking. Throughout this book, speech keeps coming up. What they should say, don't say this, do say this. Not a matter of name it, claim it, but the heart is reflected in the mouth. If you're saying these things, I'm going to go to this city, I'm going to make this kind of money, this is what I'm going to do. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If your heart was right, you would have said, these are my plans. If it is the Lord's will, we'll see what happens. But the fact that you're so self-determined and secular human, I'm going to go do these things. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you even have an attitude of God in your heart? Because you would have said something about God in your plans. So it's not a matter of being, say, these magical words as much as your words are reflecting what's in your heart. And here's what he says. You can see him right there. Be slow to speak. Bridle your tongue. Do not slander or speak evil against each other. That's chapter 4, verse 11. Do not take vows to promise what you cannot do or convince others through vows, chapter 5, verse 12. And prophets spoke against evil and oppression. Speak God's word. So there's certain things you shouldn't speak, but make sure you keep speaking. And another thing that comes up is do not respond with violence. So throughout this, We'll just say no violence. Hamas, that's, Hamas is the word often translated violence. It means uh, social violence, social oppression. Uh, that's the fourth generation. But when social oppression starts taking place, then those who are oppressed tend to want to respond back, and then you have this warring back and forth. And here it says right here, uh, throughout the book, throughout the book we keep hearing this, no anger of man. Anger of man does not bring about the will of God. If you're going to do the will of God, these people are oppressing me, I'm fighting back. Are you mad? I'm mad. I'm mad. Well, okay, you're not following God. Now, you can think Jeremiah, when he spoke as a prophet, he was upset, but he was, in a sense, angry and striking out as a man. Jesus turned the tables over. Jesus called the, the, the religious leaders snakes. I mean, he was, he was angry. Well, he was speaking truth. He wasn't, in a sense... Uh, uh, lashing out himself as a man. So man's anger does not bring about God's will. Do not have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That will help. In other words, I want these things, so I'm going to do whatever I can to get them. I'm jealous, got selfish ambition, which leads in chapter uh, 4, no fights and quarrels among believers, and no murder. That was, that's not addressed to the landowners that's addressed to the believers he says uh talking about murder uh because when they step when you step out into this it just keeps growing until now you're going to start eliminating people and again was that even pot we talked about was that even possible in the church well if again 
this Jewish congregation. It, it wasn't it had Gentiles in it apparently yet. <laughs> it was eventually going to in Antioch. Um, but the idea there, if they're zealots, they would definitely kill. And if they're they're zealots, you know, looking for the coming of the kingdom, they're going to join the group of following the Messiah. Uh, looking, there's it's their turn now. They're going to fight back, and that would lead to murder. So very clearly, no violence is part of this. And the appropriate act, so what would you be doing? Again, this is not like an exhaustive list. These are just hints we've seen. What you should be doing is visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. If you're oppressed, uh, what you should be doing is helping the other oppressed. Uh, Do not conform to the world. In other words, it says in chapter 1, verse 27, Keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, this is how, we, how, this is how the, the world makes money. This is how they're successful. We're going to start copying it. No, no, no. Don't copy the world. That, that it's successful now for a moment, but you're going to compromise your values going this direction. So do not conform to the world. Keep, oneself from being sta- uh, keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. No friendship with the world. In other words, wanting what the world has and doing it. Again, doesn't mean you don't talk to the world. Paul even says, you know, we're in the world, but not of the world. He says, if I wasn't going to ever talk to any unbelievers, he says, I'd have to leave the world. So you're going to have to function in this world, but you're not going to become part of the world system. And again, what's that look like? That's again that, that pendulum or that, that, you know, where's the center on that? I'm, I'm becoming too much like the world or, you know, I'm... I'm completely isolated somehow you got to live in the world but not be part of the world uh no partiality chapter 2 verse 1 even, even within their group no partiality treat everyone the same um, mercy triumphs over judgment when it comes time where you've got the power and you're going to pay everybody back remember mercy is going to triumph over judgment it's once you have the power it, it's not a matter of paying everybody back how they treated me mercy would be the way to go and then a main verse today if i hurry and get to it chapter 5 verse 8 strengthen your hearts those are the things that we should be doing strengthening your hearts which basically means keeping your mind renewed on the things of god in this verse right here that we're looking at christ is coming back the king is coming back perusia okay here we go the new material chapter 5 verse 7 after addressing the uh the the merchants and the landowners and now these people are oppressed he turns back to the brothers he says be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the lord See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Uh, turn the page, and you've got on, at the top, you've got the, the Greek, and I've got the first word in a box is the word brothers. You can see your translations are a variety of different ways of translating the word brothers. Uh, I would think that we would go ahead and translate the word brothers as brothers, but they do all kinds of things. Trying to, but it, it means men and women. It means the believers in the congregation. Uh, and the idea there is, is be patient. You see the word patient. Uh, we'll talk about that here. It, it, it's in there twice. It's the first word, and it's also circled, be patient. Uh, and the word parousia is underlined. Uh, point two, uh, the two key words almost used as synonyms are patience, macrotheme, you can see it, I got it there in the italics. It means to persevere, to be patient. Uh, again, they're, they're almost synonyms. Oh boy, I'm writing words on the board. Patience, uh, persevere, persevere, I'll scribble, persevere. That is that first word. And you can see I've got underneath there, uh, 
often used of long-suffering towards other people. And those are examples, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians. This patience and perseverance is often used towards people. Uh, the, a good verse is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. You know what chapter 13 is? Love chapter. Love is patient. Uh, and that would mean, in that sense, towards people. Uh, coming up later in these verses, in fact, you can see it. Oh, not, it's going to be in verse is it 11. Uh, the word endurance, <coughs> we've used it many times, hupomone, which means uh, remaining behind. Uh, I, I, I've used this definition several times, a re, hupomone, remaining behind. When everybody else has had too much and is, has given up, they're worn out, and they've gone home, you're still there either working or standing or holding it up, holding it together. You're going to remain behind. Uh, not because you're a hero, but because you're the only one left. You're, you're a hupomone, you're waiting behind. Uh, hupomone, meaning remaining behind or patient enduring. Uh, again, patient enduring, that doesn't mean uh, enduring in wrath. You know, you're, you're burning fields and burning buildings, cursing people out. I'm enduring. No, you're not enduring. You're striking out. Hupomone is patient enduring. You're, you're maintaining composure. You're ma- it doesn't mean you're not doing anything, but you're maintaining thought. You're maintaining control. Hupomone, often used of a strong, determined fortitude in the face of difficult uh, circumstances or situations. So this would be situations, this would be people. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's not a Greek, that's not out of the Greek dictionary. That's kind of like an application of the words that we see. And I'm going to say here, and you can look at these, in, in James right here, in these verses right here, they're, 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 they're synonyms. You, you need to be patient. Uh, you need to be persevering. You need to be hupomone. You need to be remain behind. Hold your place in line. Don't give up. Uh, in, including people and situations. Because you can see him giving advice on people and they're definitely in difficult situations. So again, those are the words that he's telling you. You have no excuse. It's like, yeah, but it's too hard. It's like, no, that's Christ. And this is the Christian life. Christ has called you. Sometimes life will be like this. It's like, no, if you're following Christ on this planet at this age in history, this is life. Life is like this. Again, depending on your culture, you become more severe or your circumstances. Uh, point three, patience and endurance does not mean passively putting up with circumstances, oppression, and evil. There is no room for evil in this. Meaning you can't, like, because evil is coming at you, it's like, well, I'll just cooperate. I don't want to cause it. Well, now you violated Christ. You've got to, at some point you're going to have to build a wall and say, no, I'm not going to become evil. I'm not going to join or support evil. I'm not even going to speak well of evil. I, 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 you're gonna, it's like, well, you're being resistant. At some point, you're going to have to be resistant, even if it's just in, no, I'm not. Uh, <clears throat> there's no room for evil, but there's also no room for worldly retaliation, because the world is coming at you. It's like, okay, as a Christian now, I'm going to come now at the world. I'm going to destroy the world and the world system. Uh, now, we, we proclaim truth. We bring light. But there is an overthrowing of the world system coming. And we see that here in these verses. Wait for the parousia. 
the Lord is coming. This whole thing, your endurance, you're not just passively putting up with it. You're looking forward, you're looking to the time of the parousia, which is the arrival, the appearing. And in this case, it is the appearing of the Lord. Now, if you want to go with God the Father, if you want to go with Jesus, who is God, that's another whole debate through these verses. Who is he talking about? Who is the Lord that's going to appear? I'm saying it's Jesus. But again, I, we, we want to you know, sit around and talk about it. You can find, well, he's talking about God to the Jewish community, whatever. But this, we're waiting for the parousia, and the wicked may be oppressing you today, or, uh, or trying to overthrow Christianity, or, or especially these people's lives. The day is coming where Jesus will come back, and he will, in a sense, retaliate. Uh, wait for the wrath of God. This is throughout the Bible. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Whenever you step into that place, of vengeance i'm going to overthrow something wait 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 no you be patient you be enduring what's that look like well it looks like this you've got to speak truth you can't become evil you need to keep doing good deeds but you cannot say and i'm going to solve this problem i'm going to bring judgment it's like you can't you've got to wait now you can anticipate that you can be looking forward to that in fact, the, the, the book of Revelation ends with the church saying, Come, Lord Jesus. I mean, the, the, the Bible ends, Revelation ends, with the church, in a sense, crying out, Come, Lord Jesus. The ears of the Lord, uh, the cries of the church have reached the ears of the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, because they want this. They can't do it themselves. They, they, first, they physically probably can't do it, but they're not supposed to morally do it. But they do need deliverance. And deliverance, when the parousia comes, we can call this uh, the second coming. We can call this the day of the Lord. Uh, but whenever the day of the Lord comes, there's two things. There is going to be salvation for the righteous. There's going to be judgment or wrath for the wicked. And so this day, those two things will come. And that's the day we're looking for. And we've got to separate. We are not going to bring this. Well, let's go back to the verse. Here, this is a perfect, what a great illustration right here in the verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. This is what you're waiting for. What do you mean? Well, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Now, this is very, very useful right here. Because you're going to have the planting... And you're going to have the harvest. You're going to have right here, we're going to be patient. And we're going to then have the parousia, where everything is set. Now, so we have planted, the farmer plants, but the harvest doesn't come. And there are two things, you see this in Deuteronomy, in this culture, they would have to wait for the spring rains, and let's say like in March, and then say like in August, there's, there's these two rains that would come, the early and latter rains. And they would plant, and you'd have to have the early rain. And then before the harvest, you'd have to have the latter rain the, in, later in the fall. And then you'd have your harvest. They could not control the rain. They would, they would pray. They would walk in obedience. God says, if you walk in obedience, I'll send the rain. If you don't, I won't send it. I mean, God, this was part of Deuteronomy, the part of the covenant promise. I will help you with this. 
Now, listen, we are being patient, and you cannot bring about the parousia. There is not a thing you can do. Just like these people, James says, wait for the rains. You plant, you are only waiting for the rain. We're waiting for this. Now, that leaves this space in here. And if, if you push this illustration, it gives the impression that the people would go off and throw their seeds on the ground and go back in and just sit in their houses or you know, sit on the bench, sit under a tree and wait for the rain. But clearly they did more than that. No one farms that way. You're gonna, they're going to have to, you know, the, you know even the, Jesus tells the parable about, about uh, the, the, the vineyard and the man went and took care of it and fertilized it and watered it. And, you know, they couldn't cause the rain, but you can definitely do certain things in that season, which is where we are at right here. We are not able to do this. So we're going to be patient. But while we're being patient, there are some things we can do. Basically, it comes down to living righteously, uh, strengthening your heart, doing things. But you're going to have things you're going to be occupied doing. You're going to be advancing the kingdom, just like you're taking care of the fields here, but you can't create the harvest. We're taking care of the fields, if it be our own heart, our own environment that we live in, or if it be bringing people in and training people in the knowledge of the Word of God, that's what we're doing here. But during this, this goes on for how long? We don't know how long this goes on. We're waiting for the parousia. And so, that, that sums it up, if that makes sense. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious crop? He's waiting for the fruit right here. He's being patient about it until he receives the early and latter rains. Now, that patient isn't just passive, just sitting there passively waiting for the rain. Because, you know, look at farmers. say they, they, they plant, but they're busy doing things. So keep that in mind. There's things, and James is telling them what to do. For example, taking care of the, the, the widows and the orphans. Um, I am going to, uh, okay, the coming. Um, this should be good. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 8. You also, like the farmer, be patient. And here's what, here's what he says right here. Chapter 5, verse 8. We're about on page 2. You also be patient. Right here. You also be patient. What do you do? Right here, this is the key I'm going to talk about right here. Strengthen your hearts. And you can see that right there. In, uh, in it's, in, it's The word is in a... Uh, there you see the word patient is circled. And then the word strengthen, which is sterectis, uh, which means this. It means to uh, stand firm. In the Septuagint, it can mean to gain physical strength for a journey. It, it, the, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And this word is used, strengthened is used. And it's talking about strengthening, meaning take food and eat it so you're ready for a journey get ready prepare so you are doing something that's their body eating food for the the journey here you're strengthening your heart so during this time the number one thing this goes right back to generation word bible teaching ministries 
we should be expanding the kingdom. We should be helping others. We should be feeding the poor. All these things. But number one, strengthen your hearts, your inner man, your soul, your spirit, your inner heart. You should be strengthened. If you're getting ready for a journey to go on, uh, uh, on a journey, you're going to strengthen your body with food. In this case, you're going to be strengthening it with the Word of God. And here's some of the other examples. Uh, in Judges chapter 19, verse 5, fortify yourself with food. Uh, Psalm 57, 7, trusting in God, in God's strength, is strengthening your hearts by trusting God. So how do you strengthen your hearts? You're going to grow in faith. You're going to learn to trust. You're going to, how would you strengthen your heart? You're going to anticipate the parousia. You're going to anticipate the second coming of the Lord. These are things so that when you see the oppression, when you get depressed, it's like the world is overrunning everything. Wait, the Lord is returning. The Lord has come. He's made a promise. He's working history. You're strengthening your heart. You're not burning buildings. You're not starting revolts. You're strengthening your heart in the truth, knowing we are living in a time of oppression. These people were living in a time of oppression, but we are strong. We are strong in our weakness because our strength is the Lord. So right there, the English standard says, establish your heart. The Greek literally says, strengthen the hearts of you. Uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, he writes to the Romans that he's going to come visit them, that he might impart on them some spiritual gift, and they also impart on him some spiritual gift. In other words, they're going to strengthen each other with their spiritual gift. When believers, instead of getting together and grumbling about each other, as Paul would be saying, they're going to strengthen each other's hearts by being together while they're waiting for the parousia. So the world may be bringing oppression, the group of believers should be strengthening each other. And of course, James is chewing them out because they're grumbling against each other and they're fighting, they're saying evil things, slandering each other. The oppression of the world has come into the church and they're infighting. And he says, you should be here, strengthen your hearts. And one of the ways would be to strengthen uh, with each other. Uh, also, the Bible mentions grace and holiness, strengthen your heart. So strengthen your heart, not because you're doing a good job, but you strengthen your heart because you're trusting God's grace but also because you're living holy. Okay, so that's what you're supposed to be doing. While you're waiting, like a farmer, you're waiting, but while you're waiting, you're strengthening your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Once again, it's near, it's now at hand, and next he's going to say, the Lord is at the door. And so that's interesting because those are all words that give the impression in 45 A.D., they're looking right down the barrel at the Lord's return. Hold on a few more days. Now, that's tough for us because it's like it gives the impression that they missed it, but it also puts it in perspective. Now, this is, let's see if you can catch this. It puts it in perspective that every generation is looking down the barrel at the return of the Lord. How many times in my life, in our lives, have we thought, Man, that's it. The Lord, it's just around the corner. I mean, the 70s, clearly the 70s. And I wasn't even around during World War II, which World War Hitler's doing all of this stuff. It's like, clearly, this is it. And then here we go. Now we, got, we go through all the 50s and the 60s. And then the 70s, the barcode, whatever, comes out. It's like, this is it. You know, and there's other things. Hell, Lindsay. You know, and, and we just keep going on. But now it's nothing like today. It's like, this is it. It's like, what's wrong with us? Nothing. That's the way, that's, Jesus says, be anticipating, stay awake, keep watching. 
Because when could Jesus come back? From the time that he ascended into heaven in 30 AD, he goes up to heaven. When could he have come back? Here we are in 2023. At what point could he have come? Here, 70 AD. Here, 135 AD. Here, uh, the Byzantine. Here, uh, the, the Crusade. I mean, we're just going, all, it's like all, all the way, I mean, it's like, which one, who was right? We don't know. We don't know. It's clearly it's going to be 2024 is when we know he's going to come back. It's like, we don't know. It could go on. We don't know. But to the view of the people of 45 AD, it was near. And again, that's not trying to be deceptive or trying to bend. That's just the way it looks. It always seems that way because James, was James wrong? Well, James doesn't know. Even Jesus says, the Son of Man doesn't know. I mean, I can't, he says, this is what's going to be like. In fact, we go through, we're going to go through Mark tomorrow night, chapter 13. But there's more in the book of Mark, chapter 13, as in those, those eschatologic, Matthew 24, Mark 13, uh, Luke 21. Is Jesus telling you, you're going to see these things. And it's, you've read it in books. When you see this, and you see this, and you see this, this. Famine and earthquake and wars and rumors of wars. Yes, yes, that's where we're living. Jesus says, uh, that's, it's, that's not it. So these signs, what do they mean? It's not it. What? Because those signs, they've been going on all through history. It's like, so when you see these things, the end is not yet. And people don't read that next part. The end is not yet. He goes, ah, yes, yes. Oh, I'm getting shivery feelings. But read there. Not yet. And so we do not know. Now, again, you could play that into 70 AD because definitely there was a type of a appearing, a coming, a parousia. And again, the parousia, I didn't talk about it in great detail there, but it can refer to the appearing of a God, you know, out of nowhere, just sudden appearance, or it can refer to an appearing of a king. Like when the king's coming and visiting, it's the parousia of the emperor's coming. And in both cases, Jesus, when he comes back, it's going to be the appearing of a God and the arrival of a king. They both mean the same thing. And in a sense, some people really play off that 70 AD was it. I would think 70 AD was a shadow, uh, a foretaste of what it will be like. Same place, uh, same people, same person, same savior, uh, but a different time. Uh, again, and that's, that's another topic. Nonetheless, chapter 5, verse 8 you also be patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, chapter 5, verse 9, while you're waiting, do not grumble against one another, brothers, that he says brothers again, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So, right on the tail of saying, Jesus is coming to judge the wicked. Yes, right so you're going to be delivered while you're waiting stop grumbling against each other because the judge is saying so you'll be judged i mean when he comes he's going to judge the wicked into everlasting fire but there will be a judgment of the believers who are grumbling and destroying the church within Uh, instead of strengthening each other strengthening their hearts looking forward to the day they're in here grumbling against each other making everybody focus on the day 
You understand? When you start fighting, it's like, like you're not getting focused on the Lord or focused on the parousia. You're fighting about, well, this is that. You caused this problem. You caused that problem. The world has now infected the church, and the church is acting just like the world, and now you're going to be judged just like the world. And he says right there, now there's two times he says, he already said it earlier, he says, do not slander or do not speak evil. I've got it written down here, point two, on page three. Uh, uh, <clears throat> First of all, grumble is stenazo. It means to groan or sigh. It's used in Exodus 2.23 of the Israelis groaning under the weight of slavery and their cry reaching the ears of God and Him coming, delivering them. But nonetheless, speaking evil or grumbling against other believers is followed both times by James saying something about the judge Jesus coming. So in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, listen, I, I, I cut out the middle part of those two verses. Uh, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. So they're speaking evil against each other, trying to judge each other. He says, no, there's only one judge. Stop speaking evil against each other. There is a judge coming. And here, chapter 5, verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So in both cases where, he, he, again, speech is an important part of the book of James. In both cases, when he's telling them to stop speaking, speaking evil against each other, the judge is coming. Stop grumbling against each other, the judge is standing at the door. So in both cases, he says, stop being judgmental and, and talking evil amongst yourself because the judge who's coming to judge the world is also coming and will evaluate you. As an example of suffering and patience, mix those together, you're suffering and you're being patient, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Uh, and this is, again, he's going to give them three examples of patience he's going to give them uh <clears throat> the prophets he's going to give them job job with a little j <clears throat> uh is there a th am I, did i make a mistake okay i was going to say three uh i'll read this quickly as for an example of suffering and patience brothers take the prophets who spoke in the name of the lord the prophets Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfast of Job. Now, the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all these people, they would speak the truth, face persecution. Then he says, you have heard, and again, I don't have time to develop this, but when it talks about you have heard of this, uh, you, behold, we, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. That is coming right out of the time of the Maccabean revolts where the solution the Greek came down and they began to persecute the Jews. And many of the Jews would then forsake, but some of them stood firm and would hold to the law of Moses and were persecuted. And in the book of Maccabees, 1st through 4th Maccabees, and some of the writings of the time, not scripture, but the Jewish writings of the time, they considered those who had suffered persecution during the Maccabean revolt, even losing their lives, property, families, uh, they, we consider them blessed. So like the prophets they endured, we consider those who suffered to be blessed. I'm talking about the Maccabean revolt, most likely. There's several overlapping phrases, almost like we'd recognize verses. Now, I'm not saying they're verses, uh, they're not scripture. I'm not saying James thought they were scripture, but they were Jewish history. Just like we would have history about the American Revolution or, you know, history about something that took place in the Depression. We've got American history. It's not Scripture, but we could say, you remember back in the days when we considered these facts. So this is, a lot of that would be the Maccabean Revolt. Interesting, just as you see this, we consider 
blessed those who endured. When they look back at those heroic stories, uh, we got, in our day, we've got the Fox's Book of Martyrs, not from Fox News Network, but from the 1500s. He's got all these martyrs. You read that and you find it, wow. And you consider what, that, what a blessed, those people were like, how blessed of God to be able to endure that persecution. But notice what it says. We consider those blessed who endured that kind of persecution. And now it's your turn. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't, I, I, I don't believe that, but they're blessed. But, but if you go through it, you'll be blessed. It's like, uh, no, no, I don't want to go through it. I'd rather mumble and groan. But the prophets endured it. The people of Maccabees, in fact, we consider them blessed for having gone through that kind of persecution. Now it's your turn. It's like, oh, my gosh. And now it just makes you evaluate. It's like, you read the whole book of the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and then you turn to the very last chapter, Galen Weemers. It's like, whoa, 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 what's this doing in here? I don't want to read that account. Oh, no, on the flip side, you would. But anyway, he points it out. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast, possibly talking about the Maccabean time period and, and that whole time. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, steadfastness of Job, and have seen the purpose of share it there, the purpose of the Lord, and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Even while Job was questioning and challenging God, God remained compassionate and merciful. God could have smoked Job at any time, but Job was pursuing the truth. He did not understand, so he kept asking questions and challenging God, and God never got mad at him in the sense of just striking him. Uh, his wife told him, curse God and die. But Job never cursed God. He just questioned God. I do not understand this. His theology needed adjusting, and Job was doing what we often talk about, seeking God, and he found him. And God eventually appeared to him, and Job was stunned. Well, nonetheless, you see on page 4, the word teleos is circled there. It means the end, the goal, the purpose of the Lord. So behold, we count blessed those who have persevered. The perseverance of Job you have heard of and the outcome, or the teleos, the goal, the purpose from the Lord you have seen. Not, not the things that Job got, not the prosperity got, but the purpose of God. And the purpose of God was to reveal to Job a greater understanding. It wasn't, the purpose of God was not to give Job all this stuff, because Job already had all the stuff. He lost all the stuff, started asking questions, and God wasn't happy until he had Job understanding his purpose, what was going on. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any any oath, but let your yes be yes or your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And again, that's a tough verse, possibly sticking right there. What I would think that's talking about is them trying to deal with, you should do these things, strengthen your hearts, be steadfast, endure, be patient like Job, but stop taking oaths, going to these people that are oppressing you and swearing, and I promise, and I'll sign the contract, and I, next week I'll have it for you next week. If you give me my food today, I'll give it to you next week. It's like stop taking these oaths and, and playing the worldly game. You're going to be condemned by the world or if it, it could be condemned by God. That would need a little more research there to kind of figure out. Jesus said the same thing. Do not swear by heaven or earth. Just simply that your yes be yes. It could be a basic character flaw or character strength. Meaning, do you have to, when you say yes, do you mean yes? Well, not unless I've got to sign a contract. I'll say yes, but if I sign my name on a contract, I've got to keep it. But if I just say yes, just a handshake, it doesn't mean anything. But if I have to sign my name on it, so that could be it too. If, if your yes is yes, you say, yes, I'll, I'll meet the contract. I'll meet the, you don't need to sign a contract. Uh, 
And so James is talking about, I think, could be just meaning integrity. Now, I don't have time, obviously, but chapter, page, chapter 37 of Psalms, I tried to underline some things there, just real quickly, how similar some of these things are. Look in verse 7 on page 5. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his, his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. And he keeps talking about, like in verse, uh, uh, oh, going on later, I'm trying to look at a verse there. It talks about the Lord uh, returning, coming. Psalm 37 saying something very similar. So you can see James uh, and Psalm 37 would match. I don't have time to develop that. I'm going to pray, and we are done. Thank you for being here. Father, we do thank you for a chance to look into these things. We do ask that we'd be able to apply these to our lives and, again, strengthen our own hearts and do the things you've called us to as we face opposition or the challenges of the world at whatever level they come at, that we would do the things you've called us to, that we would look forward to your return, but also to take care of the things that we need to at this time in history as we help build your kingdom and establish ourselves and others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.